talk show for all things automotive. From the latest news to the greatest views and the biggest names in rolling iron. Your host is Brett Hatfield, freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com and owner of his own small but growing fleet of cool cars. Get behind the wheel of an hour of car talk starting right now. Thank you for listening to Driven Radio. We know your time's valuable, so we work hard to bring you the best in automotive content and interviews. You can listen to us online at readthedriven.com, on iTunes, Pippa, Stitcher, Google Play, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. Please follow us on Facebook at forward slash Driven Radio Show, on Twitter at Driven Radio Show, and on Instagram at Read the Driven. We're coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. I'm your host, Brett Hatfield, here with my co-host, Vern Estes, Shelby expert and owner of the world's lowest volume car dealership, and our intrepid engineer, Matthew Hickman. This week, we've got all kinds of news about the new mid-engine Corvette. We've got a, a lot to talk about, uh, about what's coming up for sale at yeah, Monterey, Monterey. Mm-hmm. And Monterey Car Week, and uh, just so much stuff to cover. I'm not sure we'll get through it all, so let's go ahead and dig into it. Monterey Car Week is just about a week away. Uh, and Is it really? Yeah, it is. Wow. Since I'm not planning on going, it just seems like today's the, the day that we're recording is the first day of August. It and, is the uh, first day of August, but by the time the show posts... Yeah, basically it'll a week be, from then. It'll yeah. be a week out. That's frightening. Uh, in fact, I'm dragging Pet out there with me, uh, you know, our fantabulous photographer, Pet Watt, uh, and we're going to be there the 12th through the 19th, so... Yeah, it's it's just a week away, if that. And good Lord. It's, it, now, you and I were talking before uh, the show, and I didn't have much of a chance to, to look this up, but you said Bonhams has got some really cool stuff this year. Oh, sure. Yeah, Bonhams always has an interesting run of cars. I mean, one of them that I find interesting is that they're selling one of the... Uh one of the first legal 2017 Ford GTs for sale, a, uh, a 2017 Heritage car. Now, is, isn't one of those also going at uh, Sotheby's? Not a Heritage car. No, no, not but, a Heritage uh, car. Yeah, I, but a, but a, an orange uh, 2017, you know, quote-unquote regular production Ford These GT. have got to be a couple of the first ones. I mean, aside from the Cena, There's not GT. many that are legal to sell at this point. There's well, only a handful. The Cena GT, and then there's another one that traded hands through Mika. Right, but neither one of those cars were actually legal to sell, though. Well, the you know so. we talked about the Cena one uh, months ago. That thing got embroiled in all kinds of lawsuits and garbage. Basically, right now in the last two weeks to three weeks has been the first opportunities people have had who received the cars early to sell them legally. Well, yeah, twenty four months. Yeah, uh, per the Ford agreement. And I didn't think, honest to God, when they first did that, I didn't think that was going to be enforceable. But apparently, oh, it is. Ford wasn't messing around when they when no they, they signed that. They paid uh, attorneys an awful lot of money to sue people over mm-hmm. that. So, what I find enticing or interesting about uh, about that whole situation is that there are people that got those cars that thought. You know what? I'll sign the agreement, but then I'll just go against it. I'll flip like, it. He, he, as if they think that Ford doesn't have an office building of lawyers that are just waiting for oh, the first couple guys I, to do I, that. I, I Even sh- though I'll say, I'll say publicly, there's been plenty of them sold before the twenty-four no, I sh- month. No, I, sh- I shudder to th- think embargo. what Ford's legal department looks like. Sure, it's not going to be two or three guys. It's going to be tons. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Bonhams is—they've got some great stuff. Uh, when I was doing all the research for the show, there was so much high dollar stuff going at Monterey this year that I didn't even get through all the bottom stuff. Leading up to Monterey as a, as a dealer of what a lot of people would consider high end classic cars. I always have a feeling leading up to it of a little bit of uh, hesitation because I, even being a dealer of the stuff, I always have a difficult time understanding how, especially this year, how so many immensely high-end cars can trade hands at the same time. But it's the Peninsula, and that's the kind of stuff that, well, uh, that happens there. I mean, it's the highest-end cars in the world are sold you, this in the coming weekend. You've been to Monterey. You see what's crawling around out there. The the money at Monterey is really surreal. It's it mm-hmm. is, They are not anchored in reality. No. This is it's like going to a, a different planet for a week. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff that goes on there. Now, granted, there's a lot of cool stuff going on, but it's not—it's not the real world. It's very different. Um, 
a couple of the other things uh, that are going on or that are being sold, Russo and Steel has a pretty good list. And the reason I threw Russo in there, granted, they don't usually sell lots of seven figure or eight figure cars, but I cover Russo every year. So I see all these up close. Sure. Uh, they've got a 52 uh, Tohiro Barchetta Sports Racer. Uh, the, it's a consignment car for them. And this was an early prototype uh, by John Tohiro, and it was the basis on which the AC Ace was based. Which becomes the Cobra. Which becomes the Cobra. So, pretty significant car. Yeah, and if you look at that car, it looks just like a 166 Barchetta. Yeah, it does. Ferrari. It it's really it's does. literally the same car. It does, ex- save for the opening on the front, there is a little touch of early Aston Martin in there. Sure. So it, it, it's got a little bit of DB to it. Uh, a little so they bit copied of two cars, it. so that's yeah. good. At least they didn't just copy one. Well, and it, they copied two great cars, so... But that is what becomes the basis for the ACAs. Uh, they've got a 1954 Curtis KK500 Roadster Salem Those Special. Cool. Uh, a very wild car. Uh, a 55 Mercedes uh, 300 SL Gullwing Coupe. Now, I was talking to uh, uh, Drew Alcazar yesterday about this car, because this is a car that they had at Amelia. And he says that it's been through a refreshing in between Amelia and here. And that seems like sure. a lot of work done in short order. So uh, I will be curious. When they had the car to Amelia, it was really, really beautiful. Sure. There was very little default on it. So I'll be curious to see that car. Uh, 65 Shelby 289 Roadster. Mm-hmm. So something. Rack and pinning car, late production car. Should be interesting to watch that go. I knew you'd be familiar with it. Uh, a 2005 Ferrari Super America. Now, a few years ago, I helped a friend of mine uh, locate one of those. And they are super rare and interesting i love that glass roof on those very interesting you know the glass roof on those uh they had a tendency to delaminate did they yeah they did and you want to did the tinting feature on that how quickly did it work if you were to because you know you could tint it to almost black yeah and it it worked pretty well the thing was Was it quick though when they well reasonably yeah Hmm. it, it really was but when they delaminated they had a the replacement price for that part i'm sure it was very reasonable you could put your kid through a really good school for Mm -hmm. a year it was 30 grand weird i've never heard that's the first time anybody's ever told me that number one ferraris break or unreliable or the quality control is questionable and then secondly that it's expensive to fix the issue huh and we're going to address that quite a bit when we talk about the new corvette sure uh anyway and they've got a uh, 2016 Ariel Atom, which is pretty much a grown-up go-kart. Right, yeah. Uh, if you want to go out and drive something that is... If you want to get rocks in your shorts. Well, it's barely a skeleton of a car. Yeah. And uh, Bugs yeah. in your teeth, rocks, rocks in, in your shorts. Rocks you know. in your shorts, bugs in your teeth, questionable cred probably flying up your nose. And uh, remember what Clarkson looks lo- looked like when they did one of those on top. Gary opened his mouth and his cheeks just blew out. You just basically have to hate yourself to drive one of those. I mean, I'm sure it's fun. Oh, I'm sure. That's the kind of thing that you want your buddy to own. I'm sure it's a hoot, but can you imagine taking a date to dinner in that? I don't think you'd have a date for that night. Yeah, she'd have, her her dress would be up around her wrist. She'd be calling an Uber and she'd be meeting (laughs) you there. Yeah, well, they've got all that and they also have a 2018 Ferrari 488 GTB. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about those more in a minute here on Driven Radio.
Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. When we left, we were talking about some of the really great lots that were on offer this year at uh, Monterey Car Week at the different auction houses. And, you know, did you get a look at the Gooding website and all the stuff? Have you been getting there? Yeah, only once a day. Only yeah. once a day. Right. <laughs> well, they've been sending out. Yeah, that goes for emails. emails, too. It's this time of year. It's like every time you open up your, your email account. Oh, you've account, got 15, it's like, 15 it's new like emails from emails everybody. from auction houses. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, they've got a, a 1936 Bugatti Type 57 Atalante that was, it, it's stunning. It is truly a gorgeous car. Mm-hmm. Um, not really something I'm in the market for. I'd have to sell off my kids. But, uh, well, if it's just selling off your kids, well, then I, just, I might recommend it. They're just kids. You can go frump up more. Uh, they've got a 58 Ferrari GTO TDF Berlinetta. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Silver with a red stripe up the center. And yep. that's a... TDFs re- are something that always get my attention when they come yeah, they're And uh, Gooding & Company seems to be the place to sell a TDF. Seems like they have them come up quite often well, at Gooding. Gooding had so much million to $10 million stuff. It was tough to narrow down their field. It's getting weird in the major auction world to watch how many cars trade in the seven figures now because any more at Monterey, seven it almost cars seems like half deal. of the cars are seven figures, oh, at least at Gooding and RM. It's almost half of the run list is seven figures. Well, and again, this is getting back to the whole idea that Monterey Car Week is not the real world. Mm-hmm. It is it is rarefied air. Uh, Nicky Lotta's French Grand Prix winning 1975 Ferrari 312T is going to be up at uh, Gooding this year. And Nicky... Didn't he? He passed in March. Passed away earlier he? this year, and uh, the Formula One cars from that era seem to be really catching on. Stuff yeah. in the seventies. Well, and uh, you know the whole Nicky Lotta, uh, James Hunt thing, especially with the movie Rush a few years ago. Sure, uh, seemed to kind of renew the interest in that. But with Lotta passing earlier this year, I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of interest in that car. There's a 1988 Porsche 959 Sport. Uh, that is there. It's a red car. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of those running around ever. And also a, a 1930 Duesenberg Model J Sport uh, Berlin. Uh, also, another stunning. All of these cars are just sure. Yeah, they're stunning. They're, they're cars that would headline any auction in any other part of the world on any other weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and the fact that there's so many of them at uh, Gooding and Bonhams and RM Sotheby's, the field of cars that are there is spectacular. Mm-hmm. The stuff they've got is is just you can't believe that any one house gets so much of it. Uh, they've got a 58 Ferrari 250 GT long wheelbase California Spider. I'll tell you what, on that car in the scheme of collector cars in general, the short wheelbase might be by Ferrari experts the car to have, but if you look at a long wheelbase California Spider, the lines work better. There's maybe not a prettier Ferrari. And that might be a bit of a controversial statement from a Shelby guy, but that is just, to me, that's like, if you just wanted to look at a car forever, I'm sure they're fine to drive. I mean, I haven't been lucky enough to drive the, you know, 10 to $15 million, whatever they are now, long wheelbase 250 GT. But that to me is like, it's perfect. Well, chances are you and I will never lay our hands on them. And that's, you know, okay, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. Um, Also, they had a 65 Ferrari 275 GTB long nose alloy, which very, very cool car, mm-hmm. but I don't think it holds a candle at 250 long wheelbase. Mm-mm. It just doesn't. I agree with you. And it's funny that the uh, the alloy bodies on 275 GTBs make such a huge difference in value. I think it's approximately double the price, but it was a no cost option in period. And people didn't order it because they thought it was more fragile than the steel, which it is. So but it's it's the same difference in price on a 300 SL Gullwing yep. alloy body. It's roughly double. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, really interesting car. and But no cost in period. That's what's kind of funny. It is Everybody had the chance to order it and didn't. Kind of a head scratcher. Uh, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a 62 Ferrari 400 Super America Series 1 Coupe Aerodynamico uh, at Gooding & Company. And the funny thing is, there's a 61 version of the same car at Sotheby's. So there's sure. two of them out mm-hmm. there. How many of them can there be in the world? Not many. There's just a those handful of those Those are interesting cars, anyway. and they are very interesting coach-built cars. But... They just seem really expensive for what else you can get in the Ferrari world for the same amount of money. Well, so. true, but... But they're cool. 
uh, if, if that is to your taste. And they are... I'm fairly certain that's what Enzo Ferrari himself chose to drive on a daily basis and yeah. period was one of those. That's well, now at the Collier Museum. Well, and they've got a very distinctive tail to them. Uh, uh, something that seemed a little different from everything sure. else they were building. Uh, Sotheby's. A lot of great stuff uh, at Sotheby's coming up, and they've got almost as much good stuff as Gooding does. Undoubtedly, probably the two-star cars at RM Sotheby's is, is the McLaren F1. Sure. With the aerodynamics package, the GTR package, yeah. and the... Uh, the Porsche, the 1939 Type 64. Now, we got Ped uh, a, a, a media pass to cover RM, mm-hmm. and he has been going ape over that little Porsche. He wants sure. to see that Type 64 more than mm-hmm. anything. I, I, I think it's an interesting car to think about because it is the very beginning of that brand, it but is. it also didn't have the Porsche name affixed to it till later after it was produced. It was supposedly Dr. Porsche's personal car. Yeah. Documented as such, it's in extremely original condition. Um, Which means it's a long way from being completely polished and over-restored yeah. and like so only, much of that stuff only is. only three of them produced. The other two don't exist. So except this for is one of them is built from leftover parts from one of them, but that's the only one. It's it's actually a little bit mind blowing that the car that's for sale at RM Sotheby's is not already in the Porsche Museum. That it actually managed to stay in private. That hands it's in the now. wild. And it's it's interesting. I don't I don't know if I've heard of the Porsche Museum actively acquiring cars lately. But you would think if they were going to open up the coffers, if they were going to chase something, yeah. this would be it. And I think you know the estimate that we have noted here of nineteen to twenty two. I mean, do you think that's soft? It's I don't know. I mean, it's uh, there's nothing to compare that to, and it's. One of, if you look at Porsche and their very earliest cars, that has to be the only one in private hands remaining that's like hyper significant. True, it, it is uh, very significant. It is uh, what a cool car too. It I is mean, it's a, such a funk, funky looking thing. <laughs> no kidding, it it looks like an inverted butter dish. Yeah, uh, it does. It's, it's a por- psychedelic it's, just in it's appearance. A, it's a Porsche with fender skirts. Mm-hmm. It is a very interesting car, and it's also a historical watermark. It, there's not anything else like it. I think even even RM Sotheby's has been hesitant to put a solid reserve on it simply because I doubt that they even know what it's going to sell for or even a general range. I mean, that is a car that, yeah, it could sell for the 19 to 22, but it could go for significantly more and there's well, no way to that, predict it. That was, uh, that was what I was asking you. Do you think that that 22 million is soft? Do you think that that's low? On cars in this kind of like crazy rarefied air, of, of like of trading twenty two million dollars for a four wheeled object. Yeah, uh, I always anybody's always going to draw the comparison between that and the documented, you know, most likely, most consistently valuable car in the world, which is the Ferrari GTOs. Yeah, and when you look at that, Porsche and Ferrari are the only two companies that have comparable competition history. Sure. Porsche is the more prevalent company. They produce far more cars. They have a farther reach than even Ferrari does. They're just a bigger company. Yeah. They made 36 GTOs. They only made three of these and only one exists. All 36 GTOs exist. Yeah. So I always draw that comparison simply to point out that 19 to 22 million dollars is like a, a horrendous amount of money but at the same time oh, uh like the worst gto in the world or at least what a lot of people consider the worst one because it was crashed and the guy passed away and it sells at bottoms for 38 million dollars and it just it's weird to me why is that 38 million dollars and this is far less well and that kind of brings up the question how much does aesthetics come into it because arguably a 250 gto is a gorgeous piece of hardware and this porsche might not be maybe you couldn't classify it as gorgeous but when you look at it it is the beginning of the line it is and it still looks just like every 911 and for porsche purists how how hard a, how big a hook is that for them and, and again, Porsche is one of those brands where there are just as many heavy hitters that collect Porsches as there are Ferraris. Sure, absolutely. And they're all looking for that car. They're all looking for the one car where they can say, this is the beginning. And they're all, perhaps, who knows, maybe they're fighting Volkswagen Group to own it. Because if there's any car that would be worth the factory buying back, oh, yeah. it would be this car. Well, that is the centerpiece. There, mm-hmm. There is nothing bigger. I believe the Ferrari, ha- uh, the Ferrari, I believe the Porsche factory, the museum, has a couple body bucks and a couple 
replicated bodies of the sure. Type 64, but they don't have a top Type 64. This is the only one. Now, I haven't I haven't been to the museum to know, but do you know if they've got because the, the only other thing I would think that would be on par with this would be one of the early Audi T100 speedsters or uh, not speedsters but streamliners or if you want to go back in the earliest days of Porsche, you know, Ferdinand Porsche helped design the SSK Mercedes, a lot of Grand yeah, Prix cars. Yeah. That a lot a lot of that stuff, even though it doesn't say Porsche, it says Mercedes on it. That but is it's really got his the, touch. Yeah, it's really that's the really the earliest of Porsche. This is really the earliest, supposedly, of the Porsche brand. It's kind of convoluted because he was such a uh, prolific designer that he put his name on stuff. That well, and he had a hand in a lot of stuff. Oh, sure. But yeah. this is the first thing. That like I said, like one his. of my favorite cars of all time is the early SSK Mercedes that are supercharged, and like those cars to me are massively undervalued compared to later stuff. But like you could say that those cars are near the beginning of Porsche. But yeah, this car, well, as far the- as being a Porsche, it looks like a modern 911, and that's what's intriguing to me. It's from 19. 19- 39 and it still looks the same. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I can't disagree with you on any of that. Uh, and I think with the SSKs, you just wind up getting into arguments about historical significance. I think the whole collector car world will be watching that Porsche selling, thinking, I don't think anybody knows what it's worth. I no, highly doubt no R.M. Sotheby's knows what it, it's worth. And there's, there's no way. And it's going to be fun to find out. It oh, really sure. is. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, we've got uh, Meekum to cover, and then we've got a whole lot of stuff to cover with the new Corvette. The stuff we got right, the stuff we got wrong. We were close on some of it. Some of it we weren't so close on. But that does happen. Uh, We'll be back with that and lots more coming up on Driven Radio. To Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, when we left, we'd gotten through Gooding and Bottoms and Sotheby's and also Russo, but Meekum, of all people, they actually have some pretty cool stuff coming up at Monterey this year, and I was scrolling through their website. The first thing that got me, this is the only way I could ever afford a Ferrari 250 California. They've got one of the three cars, one of the three replicas that was used in Ferris Bueller's. You seem to be thinking, though, that that's going to be an inexpensive car, which that's going to sell for a lot of money. No. Uh, it's a film icon. Yeah, their, their estimate. Now, I think their estimate's a little ways north of what it's going to sell for, because if you remember, one of these sold last year out at Monterey, and I think it went for a buck and a quarter, a buck and a half. I may be wrong on that, but if memory serves, it was in that neighborhood. They were estimating this one at three to $400,000. I just don't see that happening. I mean, yeah, it was in the movie. Great. But... It's a pretty iconic movie car. It is. It is. But it's it's one of the uh, Modena uh, replicas that they did before they were uh, before they got their cease and desist from Ferrari. Sure. Saying we will sue the socks off of you. Mm-hmm. But it's not a bad looking car. It is red with tan. It does look like a 250 uh, California. Sort of. It's, well. <laughs> Uh, enough so that the untrained yeah, eye probably made wouldn't sense catch it. But you know what? Let's just get to the Corvette, though. Wait, wait, there's wait. so much to talk about here. There's a, there's a ton. This is a Ford guy saying this. There's so much to talk about. There There is, and there's a couple other things at Meekum that I wanted to cover real quick. Uh, 2017 Lamborghini Centenario LP770-4 is one of 20 made, and that ought to... That'll that'll bring a couple dollars. 1947 Delahaye 135 MS uh, Fionia Falashi and Narval ca- uh, Cabrio, very pretty car. Uh, they've got a 67 Lincoln Continental Lehman Pearson limo. It was it belonged to Elvis Presley. The shot they've got 
online, the thing is covered in dust. Mm -hmm. So this kind of goes back to what we've talked about, barn finds and being sold with the dirt on them. And just, I I still don't get that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Neglected cars bring more, apparently. Don't change that oil, ladies and gentlemen. And getting around to Corvette stuff, 1971 Chevrolet Corvette ZR2. Now, they say this is one of two known to exist. According to the Corvette Black Book, 12 were built. You know, do you know what a ZR2 is? No. Okay. I know what it... Eh, I'll let you explain it. I know what it is supposed to be. It's kind of... It's They had ZR1s and ZR2s mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And the ZR1 being full aluminum 427 block. No, basically no, no. an LA8, L88 turned up to 11. No, the ZR1, believe it or not, was the LT1, was the 370 horse 350 in 1970 with mm-hmm. all the performance stuff. You couldn't get power I'm brakes, thinking of the two ZL1 Yeah, you're thinking of the L... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but in 71, the ZR2 package was that LS6, that one-year-only 454, four-and-a-quarter horse car with all the performance stuff on Which it. Which in 71, would that have been rated at the same level as the Chevelle LS6? Well, they're they're a awfully, awfully close. Right. But there was also... Uh, it's not quite as stout as the Chevelle, because the Chevelle was a year earlier. It wasn't yeah. quite as choked by emissions stuff, but it's and relatively that's, the that's same exactly it. Right? That's exactly it. And they say it's one of two. I'm sure there's some debate to be had there. Sure. Uh, but still, a really rare uh, early third-gen Corvette. Speaking of Corvettes... Yes. Now... A couple weeks ago, we were talking about uh, the Corvette just before the debut uh, on the 18th. And you and I had said that we thought it was going to be around a buck to a buck and a half. Which, at the time, we were thinking was a bargain. Well, and we it, were thinking would be a bargain for a mid-engine car. There was nothing else in that price range. And a buck to a buck and a half seemed pretty reasonable given what given they what were talking you're supposedly about. getting. Right. Yeah. We were so wrong. Yeah. So unfathomably wrong. Of course, at the debut, they come out and they say, we're going to sell it for under 60 grand. Now, I think after you add in destination and freight and prep and all that junk, you're over 60. And the fact that no dealer's going to order an absolutely standard car. Well, I think under 60 grand, you probably don't get a steering wheel. Let's call it 70. Let's let's just say that an appropriately optioned base car is 70. Like a car that like the normal enthusiast wants to buy is well, probably going to be 70, and that's absolutely and they do, ridiculous. They do a 1LT that's kind of the stripper version, mm-hmm. and then a 2LT that's got some stuff, and then a 3LT that's got everything. And they haven't announced pricing for any of the option packages yet, but I'm guessing if you do a 3LT with a Z51 handling and all of that stuff, I'm guessing you're probably closing in on 75 pretty easily. Sure. But you got a car that's loaded mm-hmm. and has every stinking thing on it you want. Plus, on the Corvette configurator that I've only spent about 18 hours on so far. You can do they have it posted for the mid-engine car yet? Yeah, they do. They Interesting. Do. Um, it's... It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's not the best website you've ever seen. But you can go in, pick colors, uh, exterior, interior, seat belt, wheels. uh, You know, it'll let you pick some really basic stuff. I think until they get them closer to production, that's about what you're going to be able to do on that website. Sure. But... Boy, you can go in and and goof around and waste time on that thing. They don't have pricing yet, so we don't know what it's going to be. I'm betting a 3LT with a Z51 package is going to get you real close to 75. Right, 75K for a car that supposedly does 0 to 60 in less than 3 seconds. Under 3 seconds. And... uh, is just shy of 500 horsepower. You know, it's a little bit worrisome for Chevrolet. Hmm. Most of the time when a car's launched, you start off a little bit soft on the performance numbers. Yeah. Even on trucks, you, you generally start off a little bit soft on the power and torque numbers because you want to be able to show improvement. So there's over a the chance that this thing makes it to market 505 to 515 or well, something like that. Well, and what's like crazy, that. I just think like, okay, so when the Z06 and a, a, a ZR1 or some sort of other even further performance variant comes out, yeah. I just, I mean, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know, but uh, there's still rubber meeting the road. 
Yeah. And it's like, how do you get much quicker than 2.8 or 2.9 to 60? Even off of what is 495 horsepower is a lot for a standard car, but it's not really a lot in like the world of mid-engine supercars. Well, before the launch, remember, a lot of people were speculating that ZR1 would wind up being an all-wheel drive hybrid, whatever, a thousand horsepower. But even still, how much power motors. can you put to the ground? That's what that's what's kind of like. I'm I'm thinking about it, and like my mind's blown. It's like how much improvement can you do over two nine? I'm hey, really excited to see what they do. Hey, a, four, uh, a Ferrari 488 GTB is 662 horsepower, and they're talking a two six zero to sixty. Yeah, I mean it's it, we're you th- it's all you would craziness. think that we're reaching the threshold of performance. GM is not full of a bunch of dummies though, so they wouldn't have no, done it's it unless not. they knew, like they already know what they're going to do. No, and we just don't know. And the other thing is, I am a Corvette fan, but I've owned a pile of these things, and I like them because it's always been a pretty darn decent car for what you had to pay for it. It mm-hmm. was bang for the buck. And I love the idea that GM is going to turn an awful lot of the performance car world on its ear sure. with something that is 500 horse, sub three seconds, zero to 60, and well under $100,000. Can you imagine how much better a Ferrari now has to get to justify the 300 plus price range that those cars have? Well, and that's something that we're going to come back to because there's been an awful lot of tra- talk in the Ferrari community about this new Corvette and what they're thinking. Like I said, if it does 2.9 to 60, what does a Ferrari have to do at five or six times does that three the money? T- is that three-tenths of a second justify the additional? We're getting outlay. to the point where it can't physically be fast enough to justify no, the coin. you can't. You can't. So anyway, the new Corvette, after it was after it debuted on the 18th, we found out that the new engine's called an LT2. It's just an evolution of the LT1 that's in the current Stingray. Uh, it is just shy of 500 horse. They're saying it's 495. We'll see if that holds up when they come out. It has only uh, an eight-speed dual-clutch transmission, which if you go back to the dual-clutch that or the uh, the auto manual that they had in the Stingray, the Z06, and the ZR1, it really was substandard. It wasn't good mm-hmm. enough. So this new dual-clutch is supposed to be much, much better and so much What's faster. interesting about this new car is that with every Corvette so far, same thing with Mustangs, same with any American car where you're selling this bang for the buck, there's always a clear shortcoming. Yeah. But there isn't one so far. Not so far. Not Where is so it? far. Uh, you know, and again, we're going to have to get the things in production to find out. But uh, they were claiming under $60,000 at the launch. But I'm guessing it'll be seventy seventy five out the door. Uh, the base model is still going to be called a Stingray. And here's the other thing along with this. You know, all these cars that we're talking about uh, that we're comparing the, the Corvette to, almost none of them would you want to drive as a daily? I mean, how many of them would you want to take and and have as an everyday car? You None. Know? Uh, Audi R8, maybe. Audi R8. NSX, maybe. But again, you're in a completely different well, price and, range. And, and here's what we're going to talk about here. Um, with the Audi R8, you get... Uh, well, let me back up. With the Corvette, they're talking about 12 and a half feet of cubic, 12 and a half cubic feet of storage space between the frunk, that front trunk, right. which if you saw the debut, is fairly deep. That's a that's a sure. usable space. The and old they two say golf you can, bag theme. And the two golf bags in the back. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know uh, just how hot that rear compartment gets. I'm hoping not to vary. Hey, if it gets a little hot, it just softens up your grips. Right. <laughs> They're rubber. Get them nice and warm for you. You don't uh, want cold grips. The resident golf guy. Sure. Uh, but 12 and a half cubic feet is pretty good uh, mm-hmm. bit of storage room. Now, it's a little bit less than the sting, the current Stingray, which is 15, but still very, very usable. Anyway, we're going to get into all of that here in just a minute when we come back on Driven Radio. Oh. 
Welcome back to Driven Radio. So when we left, we were talking about the the new Corvette and the fact that it it may be more useful than other cars that it would be in competition with. Mm-hmm. Just at, at least from the standpoint of being a daily driver, which it should. I mean, that's for a Corvette. That's sort of yeah. The whole, I mean, it should be a usable, it's America's sports car. Maybe now you'd call it America's supercar. Well, uh, and at least one of them, the Ford GT is one of those cars too. But like it's uh, it, a Corvette should be usable. A Corvette should be something that you can drive every day. Yeah, it should be. It absolutely should be. And the, the argument, no matter be, what the spec, the argument could be made that there are a lot of other performance cars or supercars out there that you wouldn't want to tr- try and live with every day. Sure. For one reason or another. And maintenance, maybe. Yeah. Well, let's tick through some of the stuff real quick and the pros on the Corvette first of all price and price is huge. Mm-hmm. If you're really talking sixty, seventy thousand dollars, that so undercuts everything else that it's in competition with. Realistically, though, let's just call it a seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars. Okay, so even let's still, call it seventy-five. Even, even still, it's it's at, ridiculous. At seventy-five, the other competitors that I looked up and did a little mm-hmm. research on, it just smokes everything. Even at the, if you called it seventy-five to eighty at an optioned. Uh, a quote-unquote base, so not a Z06, not any other performance variant that might come out in the future. So 75 to 80 for a respectably optioned Corvette right now, even compared against the base prices of competitors, it oh, makes it, it, it look nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, it's just it it's half does. price. Uh, maintenance, both in cost and also how many places can you get the car serviced. Sure. There are 4,200 Chevy dealerships in the U.S., Mm-hmm. There's 39 Ferrari dealers. Sure. And let's, I, I say Ferrari because there's not as many McLaren dealers. There's not as many Lamborghini dealers. Uh, there's probably, there's lots more Audi dealers, um, but not nearly as many as there are Chevy dealers. And even aside from potential locations to get service done. Now, it's a brand new platform, so I could be going out on a limb by but saying this. A, but it's also, it's a pushrod V8. Yeah, generally it's it's not going to need much maintenance. No. The, the, and aside from that, it's going to share basic architecture with probably a truck engine, which well, is a good thing. With most of the LS and LT platform, the single largest difference on this is the dry sump. The oil reservoir sits in front of the block offset on a milled aluminum arm. Mm-hmm. It's not that much different. It really isn't. Nope. Uh, like we said, daily livability. Uh, you got tall and a half feet of cargo space. You can haul some crap around with you. It's going to have most of the same compromises other sports cars do. Two seats, not tons of space, probably not great and crappy weather, but... Uh, most people that buy Mustangs don't put people in the back seat either. Yeah, so it's so, like you're buying a Corvette, you're not getting the back seat, and that is what it is. Stunning performance at any price point, much less sub $100,000. Mm-hmm. Three seconds, zero to 60 is stupid fast. Well, I mean, the competitors that cost double, triple, or quadruple don't do sub three I've, seconds, zero to 60. I've had some fast cars, and I've had some cars that would run a low four, zero to 60, and that is incredibly fast. The idea of cutting another second and change off of that is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and... GM, with this move, I think they're going to do something with the Corvette they've been aiming to do for a long time, which is attract a younger customer. I think they're going to start to get into a younger generation of customers. I think that is important because I don't know many guys my age that aspired to new Corvette ownership. Well, so. average Corvette owner right now is either 61 or 59 Mustang's got old. the same problem. So it's not, I'm not a Ford guy, you know, talking trash on it. I think that every manufacturer has that issue of how do you appeal to a younger generation. I think this car might be, this car can, is, we'll probably talk about it here in a second, but it goes head to head with a car that a lot of the younger generation was probably pining for for the last three or four weeks. Which is? The Supra. The Supra gets re-released, and my generation loses I, their... Like, I'm a guy that likes 50-year-old cars, so I'm a, just a weirdo for a 28-year-old. Well, but, like, most of my generation just, like, praises the Supra. And now a Supra is, like, mid-50s. And it's, but the Corvette's now 60, and it's so... It makes... It, it is light years better. If I worked in the Toyota marketing department right now on <laughs> Supra, you just be... What do you do? I mean, how do you sell that car now? Well, and you look at that, and then you think, okay, not only do the Toyota guys have it tough, how do you, as a Porsche guy, and and this is what we're about to get into is the other competitors for the Corvette, Mm -hmm. but start thinking about Porsche Caymans and Boxsters. 
Yeah. The new uh, 8th Gen Corvette has a lift-out target-type panel that'll fit in the rear storage compartment. So you've got a pseudo-convertible, but they've already started showing shots of the convertible that will be released shortly after the coupe comes out. So there's already a convertible in the works. You got... Which is interesting because even the coupes have the removable target. Yeah. So you have... I would have thought was kind of enough, but I mean, more power to them to just offer a full convertible too. And I don't know how much, how big a difference it will be, honestly. I, there's not much left to take off it once the target's well, yeah, removed, you, but, but I mean... When you've got whatever, the firewall behind you... They you, know they can sell it, clearly, yeah. so... But how do you look at a, a Boxster S or a Cayman S that has less power doesn't have quite their performance now granted they've got porsche build quality and that's that's what they've there got is an, there is an argument to be made porsche for guys might just want porsches but i i tend to think that even like those cars are obviously a little bit threatened and there will probably be sales stolen from them but i even think it goes all the way up to the 911 well and, and the only reason i say that is because there's a huge segment of the market where guys have a professional job maybe they're a doctor or a lawyer they're not really like hardcore car guys but they get a little bit of money and they think to themselves you know what i want a sports car and like the default sports car for those guys has always been do i want a corvette do i want a 911 they're like a they're available approachable and they have a lot of buddies that have them and the ferrari almost seems like a bit out of well and generally like you're a doctor right so like a lot of your it's not like all your buddies have audi r8s which would probably be the better choice the more unique choice sure but like all your buddies have Porsches. So you get a Porsche or a Corvette, you get something like that. And now, so that guy who's not really a hardcore car, quote unquote, car guy, not, he doesn't live and breathe it. But now all of a sudden he's sitting in a Chevrolet dealer and it's 70 grand for a nicely optioned Corvette. That's a better performing car that has more usable space. That is easier to service and not going to be as big a pain in the butt. It becomes difficult to like the, just the base 911. I don't even know quite what it is, but it's, it's up there. The base 911 Carrera coupe, uh, the base price is 97.4 and that it that's a car again where it's like you're not going to just go to a Porsche dealer and get a base 911. They basically no, just gonna, only order S's. It'll GTS's be a Carrera S. It'll be loaded yeah. out. It'll it'll you be can't even find. It'll be a hundred grand easy, oh, no easy, matter what. Easily. So, well, if base price is 97.4, the car's going to be a hundred. By the time you order the stitch side bolsters, it's a hundred and two, oh, and then it, it just goes crazier from there. Have you ever looked at the Porsche uh, options list? I've fell asleep halfway through it's, a few it's times. I never made endless. it twice it's through endless. the whole thing. So here are the things that are probably direct competitors for it at least as far as uh, layout design that sort of thing because none of them the price comes close uh, Acura NSX base price is 159 grand and again the emphasis is base price base price uh, it's a hybrid electric powertrain uh, it comes with a twin turbo three three and a half liter six with three electric motors to drive uh, the front wheels and, the, and assist on the back wheels for a total of 573 horsepower has a nine speed uh, dual clutch trans and it does a three Three one zero to sixty, and it's worth noting on that car that they are having a ton of trouble selling that car. So they previously have been giving people a quote unquote screaming deal by supposedly putting fifteen on the hood of that car. Yeah, which okay, so well fifteen so, on the hood gets you one hundred forty five. <laughs> so now it's one hundred and forty five, and then the Corvette comes out, it's still over double, and it's seventy, and you are already having trouble. Yeah, uh, last year Audi introduced a uh, an R eight V ten rear wheel series, which is a rear wheel drive only instead of their uh, quattro system that they usually have, and that thing base is 159.9. It's 160 mm-hmm. grand. 540 horse V10, seven speed dual clutch, and with that, all of these other cars, with the exception of the 911, the Cayman, and the Boxster all have dual clutch transmissions. Mm-hmm. All these people who are lamenting the Corvette coming out and not having a manual option, nothing does. Yeah. All the cars that we compete with are all dual clutch. And I can't say anything negative about the R8 because I have a special little soft spot for them. Um, one of the these days way. I'm going to order, I'm going to get an early one with the manual transmission. Well, until they announce the pricing on the new Corvette, I was looking at R8s thinking that's within reach. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking at the new Corvette going, why would I bother? Uh, so the uh, the R8 V10, but because it's only rear wheel drive, their zero to 60 time dropped to three and a half seconds. Ugh, so slow. Well, yeah, but they were. <laughs> right around three with the Quattro. So uh, the McLaren 570S base price, $195,000. And the mm-hmm. 570S is the low end of the of the McLaren. It's the low-hanging flute. The one thing that those cars do have going for them is that they hold their value really well. They do. 
they do. And they are very, very comfortable as far as exotic cars go. Mm-hmm. But that's where everything ends. Doing maintenance on one is prohibitively expensive. And again, how many McLaren dealers are there? Not sure. Not too many out there. Uh, it's a 562 horse uh, twin turbo, 3.8 liter V8, seven speed dual clutch, zero to 60 and 2.7. Good grief. That's screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the 911 we talked about just a second ago, the Carrera Coupe base price is 97.4. You know, you get a new key fob, it's $100,000. Sure. And it's a three liter twin turbo boxer, six, 400 horse, seven speed manual, or the, the paint to speed. sample key fob. That's where it's all at. Yeah, no kidding. I want the golf blue key fob for my red car. <laughs> or a seven speed PDK automatic, four seconds, zero to 60. The Cayman S base price. And I, I looked at the S, uh, because it was kind of the step up. Now, the Cayman base price is 56.9. The Cayman S base price is in the 60s, upper 60s. Uh, two and a half liter turbo boxer, four, 350 horse, six speed manual or seven speed PDK. It's a 4.4. And then the one outlier on this deal, Ferrari 488 GTB, which really isn't a direct competitor for the Corvette, but it's the same basic design layout. It looks the same. And you could put a Ferrari badge on the new Corvette and people would be like, yeah, that's probably what it should look like. You're probably not that far off. Base price, 262000 and change, 3.9 liter turbo V8, 660 horsepower, 7-speed dual clutch, 0 to 60 and 2.8. That is a screaming car, but for a quarter million plus, sure, it should be. Again, base price, which means that you will not buy one for less than 300 Oh, no. In the Ferrari world, if you want anything, like anything at all, on the options list is going to be like five or $6,000 per well, item. And, and part of the reason I threw the Ferrari in on the end there is... And you have to own, own like a couple Portofinos first and like you have to run the whole... You have to like suck up to your Ferrari dealership and oh, like geez. deal with all you imagine the a, stuff that you goes You imagine a Chevy a dealership owner. telling you before you could buy a Corvette... You got to buy that. a couple Cavaliers first, bub. Well, you got to take a couple Blazers and Suburbans off our you, hand before we just give you the keys to the you, Corvette. You got to have... Look at this guy trying to just walk in the showroom and buy a Corvette. You got to have two Malibus, a Silverado, and, and a Tahoe before <laughs> You got to we'll have a Tahoe it. and a Suburban. Yeah, can you imagine that happening? <laughs> Never. But part of the reason I threw the Ferrari on the end there was I've been trolling the Ferrari chat forums mm-hmm. trying to see what they were saying. And there was even an article that came out about all the stuff that was going on in Ferrari chat. One of the quotes that came out of the forum was for the price of a carbon fiber package on a Ferrari, you can purchase a nice looking sports car with a naturally aspirated 495 horse V8 that can do a sub three seconds zero to 60 and some of you are nitpicking the look of the lights on the back. Yeah. Now, you know, when Ferrari guys... I mean, we all know that Camaro parts are ugly, but like, guys, calm down. It's it's 70 grand, so it's fine. You know, you don't like it, you can always We couldn't it. just go this whole conversation without me just throwing in one little barb here and there. Overall, I think we can agree I've been pretty positive about a Corvette. Hey, the one thing I... I like cars. I don't, so. I don't like the wing. I don't like the wing. Yeah. There's I, plenty I, of things that I could nitpick on it if I just sat there and looked at pictures, but then I, like, it seems... It's, it's like sixty to seventy five thousand well, dollars for the, so much car. It's like anything you say to. I mean, it just it's going to shed any negativity you throw at it because it's just a lot of car. For well, the money. and some of the Ferrari dealers have actually brought up the shortcomings that they have with the Ferraris. You know, some of them are no stu- notorious for having sticky buttons or sticky interior parts and mm-hmm. having the the dash leather shrink away after a couple of years or after a little bit of time in the sun. I saw that on a two thousand five Super America out at Russo Lab. Last year, the dash leather trunk up like that. And another quote from the uh, Ferrari chat forums, I've never had sticky interior components in my vets or leather that shrinks on the dash and distorts after a few years or electrics that stop working. You can bring a vet to any one of thousands of GM dealers to be serviced. Don't get me wrong. I love my Ferraris and all of their special traits, but I've never had brain damage maintaining a vet the way I do a Ferrari. Speaking of interiors... The Corvette's getting a lot of flack for... I love it. that I think new it, interior. I think it has to do with the fact the interior leaves no concession for possibly having a manual transmission. Which of course, they can. it's just a center console. They can probably figure out a way to do it. But I sit there and I look at that, and I think the interior looks real cool. I like the yeah, interior. It looks nice. I, I think it looks like a pretty... 
neat place to sit for sixty to seventy five thousand well, dollars. If you will remember back to the sixth gen Corvettes and the ZR the Z O sixes and the ZR ones, mm-hmm. everybody gave Chevy a ton of flack about how cheap the interiors were and how the materials weren't up to spec and everything else. It's just the talking point of like all and then, people. and then they tried to improve that, and they did a long, uh, went a long way towards doing it with the seventh gen. Seventh yeah. gen. I think the new interior looks fantastic. What was what I what strikes me as funny about the seventh gen in the last year or so is that when the seventh gen came out, the automotive community rejoiced that Chevrolet had finally put a good interior in a Corvette. And yeah. for the last two years, every time you see one reviewed, it's like, yeah, well, the interior's crap. And you're like, well, you guys were all four or five years ago saying how great it was. Yeah. Like you can't you can't give these people everything they want. Now, now they've given you a Corvette for sixty grand that's mid-engine, competes against a Ferrari, they bitch about does the a sub three seconds zero to sixty, and they complain about the taillights and the fact that it doesn't have a manual transmission, that the interior isn't designed for it, even though. Uh, none just, of, none like, of the direct competitors like, have a manual Like, what exactly either. do you want? It costs less than a diesel 3,500. Yeah. It costs less than a diesel 3,500. It does zero to 60 in less than three seconds. Well, like, they can all just calm down. And, and as much as they're griping, as much as they're complaining, they're bitching about everything, the comment that I've seen over and over and over again, and I just shake my head, I think you're... In, please, give me a break. Is people saying, oh, it's the Fiero all grown up. Hmm. Yeah, whatever. Please. That's, that's weird. Whatever. You know, before... The that's coming from a Ford guy. Like, I won't buy a Corvette because I'm a Ford guy. I'd rather spend it on a Shelby or a Mustang. But sure. I think it's a cool thing. I ha- I have no problem with it. I think it's a lot of car for the money. And if I was a... If I was, like, specifically a, she- a Chevy fan, I'd be real excited about it. I, I am I think real- it's real cool. I am real excited about it. I'm not specifically a Chevy fan, although I've had a bunch of them and I got a bunch of them now. Uh... It's to me. It's always been, what can you get for the money? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not so wrapped up. Mustang in, and Corvette have been the thing for yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not so wrapped up in branding that. Uh, okay, well, let's go throw three times the money at it because it's got a, a prancing horse on a yellow background. Mm-hmm. So uh, the last comment I, I took from the Ferrari chat that I really loved and. You know, for Porsche and Ferrari guys are always so big on, oh, track days, and let's take our car to the track, and let's go run the track. And this, I loved this. This guy said, I'll probably buy a Corvette as a track car. I traded my Porsche race car for a Scoot a few years ago, and knife edge handling coupled with high value and expensive maintenance make it a poor weapon for the track. I was thinking of getting a Cayman GT4, but with less performance and a $110,000 price tag versus around ninety dollars for a new Z06, not to mention lower maintenance cost, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you when the Z06 comes out, it's still sub hundred grand. It's so cheap that it's disposable to Ferrari guys. Oh, I I love it. I, I absolutely love it. We have went, run so long on this, but I've been dying to talk to you about it, and I was I'm so glad you're back this week. Uh, we will have links to all of the articles and all of the source material for this on readthedriven.com. Feel free to come uh, to look at the website and uh, go track down all of these articles. We'll have everything up for you. Thanks so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do. We wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. Uh, You can find us online at readthedriven.com. Follow us on Facebook at forward slash Driven Radio Show and on Twitter at Driven Radio Show and everywhere podcasts are heard. I'm Brett Hatfield for my co-host Vern and our estimable uh, engineer, Matthew Hickman. Thank you for listening. Matthew's been through so much tonight. Yeah, we've There's been, been so much yapping we, in between takes. We've been uh, kinda, we feel bad for We've him. been kind of rough on Matthew tonight. We're taking and, him to uh, Twin Peaks right now, so he, he's going to be okay. We're going to have to go get him happy somewhere. But uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio.